Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Understanding China's unclothed dilemma? First word. Instead of issuing hollow warnings or threats to countries that reject China's claim of indisputable sovereignty over the entire South China Sea and extend support to the Philippines in the dispute, China's spokesmen would be more useful to the international community if they would clarify or tell the truth on nagging questions about China's foreign policy concerning the waterway and the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, UNCLO, to wit. First, has China made the decision to withdraw its ratification of and membership in UNCLO? If it has, what happened now to its solemn word of honor when it actively helped to negotiate the treaty, signed it in 1992, and ratified it in 1996? Second, why does China reject the award by UNCLO of exclusive economic zones, eases, to countries with coastlines rimming the waterway? On what grounds and what law does China refuse to recognize the eases of its Asian neighbors? Third, why do claimant countries like the Philippines need China's consent in order to exploit or develop their respective oil or gas deposits in their exclusive economic zones? Fourth, is it true that China wants to be classified as an archipelago and wants the privileges and entitlements of authentic archipelagos like the Philippines and Indonesia? Which geographer or cartographer is willing to grant China this distinction? Fifth, on what grounds in international law does China issue warnings or threats to countries that have forged security ties with the Philippines in light of the SCS dispute? One scholar's partial answer. Lane a 2016 article in The Diplomat, China and UNCLO, An Inconvenient History, the writer-scholar Zheng Wang provides an insight into what he calls China's dilemma with UNCLO. Zheng Wang is the director of the Center for Peace and Conflict Studies in the School of Diplomacy and International Relations at Seton Hall University in New Jersey. He wrote, the rising tensions in the South China Sea, especially the arbitration lawsuit brought by the Philippines, have stimulated debate and research about China's South China Sea policy, as well as about the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, UNCLO. For Beijing, the South China Sea dispute is essentially a dilemma with UNCLO, which the PRC took part in negotiating from 1973 to 1982 and ratified in 1996. Officially, the government stands by its determination to abide by the convention it signed and ratified but there has been more and more discussion in recent years about the question of whether China should withdraw from UNCLO. It took nine years from 1973 for the international community to finalize the United Nations conference that finally agreed on UNCLO in 1982. For the PRC, this was its first multilateral negotiation after having joined the UN in 1971. Some recent Chinese accounts shed new light on the Chinese delegation's state of mind at the time. One important source is the memoirs of the head of the Chinese delegation, Ling Qing, who later became Deputy Secretary-General of the UN. An interview with the two deputy heads of the Chinese delegation by a major news magazine in 2012 also provides important additional information. All of these sources paint the same picture. In 1973, when negotiations began, China was still in the throes of the Cultural Revolution, 
so the Chinese delegation was given three guidelines by the leadership, be anti-hegemony, meaning anti-US and anti-USSR, support the third world, protect the national interest. They thus put ideology before interest. This was common at the time. Moreover, China was grateful for the support it got from the third world countries, which had played an important role in deciding to let the PRC take over China's membership in the UN from the Kuomintang government in Taiwan in 1971. Beijing believed it should support the third world in return. Some leading developing countries in Latin America and Africa were calling for a 50 to 200 nautical mile, NM, territorial sea under full national sovereignty. Those countries lacked the capabilities of developed countries, especially superpowers like the United States and USSR, to protect their waters from being exploited by others. And the US and the USSR tried hard to limit weaker states' maritime rights by reducing the size of the territorial sea and exclusive economic zone, EEZ. The Chinese delegation saw things from the perspective of a class struggle between the hegemonic and third world countries. Ling Qing recalls how China eventually decided to stand with the third world countries and supported the demand for a 200 nanometers ease, even though there were already internal discussions in the late stage of the negotiation as some Chinese had realized that a 200 nanometers ease might not belong to China's national interests. A book by Liu Feng, former vice president of the National Institute for South China Sea Studies, sees China as the big loser in UNCLO due to its unfavorable geographic location. Only recently has it been fully realized that in spite of its 18,000-kilometer coastline, China's geography actually inhibits the realization of its maritime ambitions. There are several main geographic disadvantages, it is open to seas but not oceans, and China's maritime space lacks breadth. Even though China borders four seas, the Bohai Sea, Yellow Sea, East China Sea and South China Sea, all of them are enclosed by island states. This means that China has to share its maritime space with other countries. While the South China Sea offers more space, it is enclosed by nations making big sovereignty claims. The book argues that the 200 nanometers ease rule agreed upon and UNCLO greatly restrains China's maritime space. From China's participation in the negotiation of UNCLO in the 1970s to its decision not to participate in the arbitration case in 2014, over 40 years have gone by, and in that time China has experienced a tremendous transformation. 40 years is a good period of time for people to review the real implications and consequences of an important international negotiation. China's negotiation of UNCLO provides a good case study to understand China's foreign policymaking and its attitude toward international law and international treaties. SCS as sphere of influence? Part of China's approach to its dilemma with UNCLO is to declare unilaterally that it has undisputed sovereignty over the entire South China Sea. Undisputed sovereignty? but there are at least seven countries that vigorously dispute China's claims. No country in the world has ever recognized these claims. China has also tried to invoke America's Monroe Doctrine as a justification for its aggrandizing moves in the South China Sea, suggesting that the waterway is within its sphere of interest, or sphere of influence, in the same way that the US claimed the Western Hemisphere as its sphere of interest, in defense and warning against the ambitions of European powers in Latin America. This Chinese claim has received scant attention from other countries, particularly those powers that want freedom of navigation to be kept inviolate in the South China Sea. The idea of introducing a similar doctrine into the tangled affairs of the South China Sea is laughable. No country, however powerful, will ever be able to enforce it. Better to let it be. Meanwhile, the dispute will live on in that resolution. Yenobserver at gmail.com